Loving Father, we uh, thank you that we can gather this morning. We thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through your word. And we pray that you'd be applying the truth of these words to our hearts and our minds, that we would grow in Christ. We ask all to your praise and glory. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, We know what a moment of truth is, don't we? moment of truth is like when you've worked for hours and hours and you've finished the repairs on the motor and then you turn the key. That's a real moment of truth right there. Or maybe when you followed a recipe, all that cooking time in preparation and then the the fork comes to the mouth, that's, that's a real moment of truth as well. Or maybe it's the auction at the sale yards or the essay paper or that moment when the other person says yes or no. <laughs> it's a time, isn't it, when something is tested, a decision has to be made or a crisis has to be faced. And here at the end of Exodus is the moment of truth. Israel have done the work. They've built the tabernacle according to God's instructions. And the big question is, will God come and dwell among them? Is this powerful God going to descend off the mountain and come and dwell among his people? And after everything, will he do it? Of course, in one sense, the answer is easy. Of course, God will dwell because he said he would. Back in Exodus 25, verse 8, God said, Have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And so all Israel need to do then is believe the commands, follow the instructions, make the tabernacle and God will dwell. But on the other hand, a lot has happened since God made that promise, especially chapter 32, when Israel completely disobeyed God. And so we ask, well, what now? After all the promises of God, Israel have basically abandoned him. And we heard that if in God's promises, didn't we, in chapter 19, verse 5, if... You obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. But we know how that went. We know that they didn't keep the covenant, so our question is still, what now? We might remember the drama of the Lord threatening to give up and leave and start over. We might remember Moses intercede on Israel's behalf. He goes up the mountain again and then the Lord sings. And the covenant is renewed and Moses is radiant and it brings us to chapter 35. Have a look at chapter 35 with me, please. Chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take for the Lord. Take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, 
blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins and on it goes. Verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its coverings, clasps, frames, crossbars, uh, the ark and on it goes. And so God still wants to dwell among his people despite everything. And this is what the last chapters are about. Chapter 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. Israel builds the tabernacle. And it's a bit like deja vu though because it reads like a repeat of those other chapters we were in. Remember when we were in chapter 25 and 26, 27, 28, 29. It's almost like we've hit the repeat button. But of course... There's one massive, massive difference. And it's very simple. Instead of saying, you'll make, you'll make, you'll make, you'll make, you'll make, it's now saying, and they made, and they made, and they made, and they made. Instead of commanding it to be built, here, in fact, they're actually building it. So look at chapter 37, verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and made gold moulding around it. He cast four gold rings, and on it goes. Verse 6, he made the atonement cover of pure gold. Verse 7, then he made two cherubim. Verse 8, he made one cherub, uh, and on it goes. Verse 10, they made. Verse 12, they made. You, you get the idea? They made. And on and on. And it's very detailed, isn't it? Very detailed description of what Israel did. And again, we might ask, why is it so detailed? Is it, is it meant to put us to sleep? Uh, why? And maybe the answer is found in the refrain we heard in uh, the Old Testament reading as Peter read it out. Just as the Lord commanded, just as the Lord commanded, just as the Lord commanded. And here in these chapters we see, we can know Israel did it exactly as the Lord had commanded. So chapter 39, verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. And so Moses blessed them. <coughs> I don't know what your response is here after everything we've read in Exodus. Do we sigh with relief at this point or do we cheer for them? I don't know. It's a bit like watching the Panthers when they beat the Rabbitohs yesterday by one point. Do you sigh with relief or do you go, hooray? But here, Israel, they get it right this time. And they do what it says, which implies an important lesson. It reminds us it's actually possible to do what the Lord commands. <clears throat> I think sometimes we read the Old Testament and go, well, see how hard it is. But here we're reminded it's actually possible to do what the Lord commands. It is possible to trust and to have faith in his promises. 
Uh, and so that's an encouragement. And see how positive and wonderful and rewarding it is. How good is it? See the moment of truth now. They've been building this thing for nine months. And what happens? Can you see the fork coming to the mouth? Can you see the key being turned on the motor? Can you feel the tension? Chapter 40, verse 33. What happens? Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work and then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here is the big ending of the book of Exodus that it's been working towards. Here is the big final scene. And, well, look how fast it happens. I mean, I asked you if you felt the tension. There's actually no tension at all. Moses finishes the work and then the cloud covers the tent. God moves in just like that. I mean, we've seen pictures of people flooding onto trains or if you ever caught the Manly Ferry, no sooner does it dock and they open the gate, zoom, it's filled, everyone's on. All the shopping centres at Boxing Day, we've seen that on the news. And it seems to be the sense here. There's no drawn out ceremony. There's no ritual, there's no song, not a prayer offered, not even a build up of expectation. There's no key being handed over. It's like the Lord is waiting there and as soon as Moses finishes the work, boom, he's there. And so our question, will God come and dwell among his people? The answer is yes, he will. There's no doubt about it. There's no reluctance. There's no hesitation. Because this is what God has been working towards all along. God dwelling among his people. And in chapter 40, it finally, finally happens. See, look at verse 36. In the travels of all the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And so Exodus ends with the Lord continually in the sight of his people. There's no more, hey, where's God? What's he doing? There's no more, hey, where's God? Has he forgotten us? There's no, hey, what was God thinking, bringing us out into the desert kind of thing? There's no, is he going to feed us or is he going to give us water? Will he protect us? No, he's, he's right there with them in the sight of Israel during the course of all their travels. And so what Moses had continually begged for, the Lord now fulfills, God in a tent. And so we're reminded the words of chapter 34 are true. See the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
especially as he condescends to live among rebellious sinners. Which makes our experience all the more remarkable. As glorious as this picture is at the end of Exodus, it fades into insignificance beside the Holy Spirit poured into the hearts of Christians, bringing them into the presence of the eternal God. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts, not trickled or dripped, but poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And we should be asking, having read Exodus, well, how is that possible that a holy God would condescend to live in our hearts? How is that possible? And of course, we know the answer is it's possible because of Jesus. We worship a better Moses, if you like. We worship the one who tabernacled. In Jesus, God tented among us. Jesus, who is our mediator, our sacrifice once and for all. And so the cross is that history-changing moment of truth. As the curtain is torn and the way is opened up to God. Such that now, by the blood of Jesus, God lives in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit. By the blood of Jesus, God, this God, now lives in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit. Oh, doesn't that make you love Jesus all the more? Doesn't that make you wonder and marvel at the power and glory that is Jesus Christ? That in him now we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access. That which was blocked off by the curtain, we now have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the glory of God. That's Romans 5. Now, here's another thing. As you marvel at the wonder of that news, the other thing is that through this movable sanctuary that symbolises the presence of, Lord, of the Lord, Israel could march into their future, reminded by the cloud in the day and fire at night that he was with them for their good. And at the same time, just as our Spiritual forebears were on a journey, so too well, we are journeying in a tent. A tent which is our bodies. This is the passage that Ross read for us. And we know that this tent, this one is one that wears out and it gets ripped and worn. And we're so longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, aren't we? And longing also for what is mortal to be swallowed up by immortality. That's 2 Corinthians 5. And so this is our hope. This is our confidence. This is our future. This ending to Exodus speaks volumes to us because we, like the Israelites, are looking for rest. And on this journey, we follow our holy Redeemer as he guides us to the promised land. Okay, there's no cloud 
overhead, but we have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. He brings us to the goal of our salvation, just as surely as the cloud guided Israel to theirs. And so the God of Exodus then is still guiding. He is still present with his people, with us, wherever we go. He still leads and he still guides, not to Canaan, but to a better country, the heavenly one. Hebrews 11 verse 16 is helpful. But for the moment, please turn with me to Revelation 21. We're going to finish here. This is where it's all heading. Revelation 21. sound of Bible pages turning is nearly as good as the sound of rain on the roof which means it's pretty good it's wonderful Revelation 21 verses 1 to 3 this is the Apostle John then I saw a new remember we're heading to heaven immortality we, we, we long for the heavenly country and the Apostle John writes in Revelation 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This is where we've been heading. This is the plan all along in the new creation. This question we've asked of Exodus is a question we ask completely in the whole schema of the Bible. How is God going to dwell among his rebellious people? And the answer, of course, is in the new creation. He will. God will dwell finally and fully among his people. This is where we're heading. God won't be living in a tent with his sense of being unapproachable. He will live with his people. He himself will be with them. Here is our future. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And what will God do? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So you can know that no matter what happens and no matter how bad things get, this is waiting for us if 
We are a follower of Jesus. What is it now that brings you pain? What is it now that makes you worry? What is it that makes life miserable? What burdens or griefs or past mistakes are you still carrying around? But the new creation isn't just the absence of these things. It's not that our problems will be gone. It's more than that. It's that we will be with God. Yes, we have a spirit now as a deposit, a promise of what is to come. Yes, he is with us now, absolutely. But oh, that longing for the new creation isn't only about the undoing of the curse and our problems being gone. It's about wanting to be with our loving, patient, eternal God. The God who is compassionate and all-loving, slow to anger and abounding in love and finding our eternal rest there. This is what we've longed for ever since Genesis 3. This is what we've missed ever since Genesis 3. This is what we groan for. And if we are followers of Jesus, verse 3, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And our response must be, well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.